This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. And now, without further ado, coming in like Nanak of the North, here's Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Snowfall, but the roads were clear. Roads are clear. Yeah, so easy driving. They were just wet. Okay. But we need that moisture. Oh, absolutely. Got to have it. It was yeah. kind of a not treat at 3.30 this morning going out my back door in uh, the snow on crutches going down the ramp. Oh, look out. You need four-wheel drive uh, crutches. Never thought yeah. about that. Yeah, four-wheel drive. Yeah. I, have, invent I, wonder, that. I wonder if they could invent some like roller skates that you could lock into four-wheel drive. <laughs> you be the first to try it. Uh, no, I don't know. I, I'd have to think about that. Okay. Do we have any thank yous? This well, morning? the Schnitzel is oh, always, you the know, Schnitzel Fooster. Yes, he he always has, but he uh, he actually sent me some information uh, on some possible podcasts in the future, and I appreciate that. Okay. So, now, where did you say he lived? Uh, Germany. In Germany. Yeah, I'm not sure where. But. So, ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of Doctor History, we salute the Schnitzel Fooster. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to talk about something today, Zeb. Uh, it's a tribe of Indians uh, that uh, if you go up into the national parks and the national forests, uh, you will find relics of the sheep eater Indians, which uh, are no longer around. Okay. Sheep eater. Sheep eater. Okay. But there's a different name for them, and I'm going to, I'll get to that. Okay. But there are camps where there were sheep traps uh, that have lying undisturbed in Yellowstone Park, the Wind River Mountains of Wyoming, uh, Boise Sawtooth, Chalice, and Salmon National Forests of Idaho, where the sheep eaters were. Now, the sheep eaters were unique among Indians because their food and economy were so closely, closely related to the Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep. The Shoshone called them, and I'd never heard of this, they called them Tukadika. Tukudika. Tukudika. So that's the name, the really the name of the of the tribe. I see. But uh, we call them the sheep eaters. But okay. Uh, and, and in the Shoshone language, Tukudika means sheep eaters. Oh. Okay. So their range. Tukudika. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> their range of habitation that uh, was basically up in the high mountains, way you know, way up high. Really. So. But due to the location of their homelands, uh, it was remar- remote, hard to get to. Uh, their ancestral campgrounds, sheep traps, and whatever they left behind is undisturbed because it's so remote. Still there? That there's things still there that have never been disturbed. Yeah. 
remnants of this extinct tribe. And you mentioned like over in the Bighorns. Right, the Bighorns. Yeah, uh, up in Chalice, Salmon. That's cold country. The Middle Fork of the Salmon, all through that area. So the Tukadika were easily distinguished from the other Indians of the Columbia Plateau. Their language was spoken in a kind of soft, slow, sing-song tone, which kind of contrasted with the more guttural voices of other tribes. Uh, they were a hunting people. They were not a warrior race. Uh, <clears throat> So there's no bloody tales of conquest or intertribal battles that have been handed down, you know, from father to son and one thing. Was it a big tribe? No, no, they were not. Uh, In fact, the sheep eaters were so uh, peaceful that the Blackfeet delighted in kind of persecuting them just for the fun of it. Because they wouldn't fight back. Black feet were, at times, they, I understand, kind of testy. They, they were, if you were a mountain man, you you rode around them, they not through them. Yeah. So the Tukadika never really emerged from the Stone Age, really. Uh, numerically, they were probably never more than a few hundred, and those were scattered uh, over these mountain ranges. Um, and they lived in the mountains in the wintertime. Uh, well, they did come down. Did they? Uh, a bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, while their neighboring cousins uh, became enthusiastic and sometimes really good ru- horse riders, the sheep eaters never adopted the horse. You're kidding. They never, uh, the very nature of their habitat where they lived was not conducive to a horse. Think about it, Zeb, up in the, you know, the Selway oh, yeah. and up in those areas, a horse would be, it would be okay, but it would be rough, rough territory. How did those people keep warm? Yeah, well, we'll get to that too. Oh, uh, but anyway, a few individuals did acquire horses uh, when they defected to other tribes. When they would leave their tribe and go down, maybe with the Shoshones or the Bannocks or whatever. But uh, they used a lot of dogs to uh, drag the travoy over these steep, narrow mountain trails. Uh, the dogs were a dual-purpose animal, a beast of burden, but a valuable uh, adjunct to the hunt because they could actually help hunting. But with or without dogs, the sheep eaters were uh, really good hunters. Their principal weapon was the short, powerful bow of bighorn sheep uh, horn with which they were really, really accurate. Uh, and they would dip their obsidian-tipped arrows into what's called vegetable poison. Uh-oh. So I'm thinking I think that must be like poison mushrooms maybe or something know. like that. I don't know. But I didn't realize they used the horn of the bighorn sheep as a bow. I did not I, I realize did not, that. I didn't either. But as sheep hunters, these Indians stand alone. Only uh, the old Shoshones often recall stories related to them by their fathers of the, they called them the little mountain people who possessed a powerful sheep medicine. It was so powerful, in fact, that the Tukadika could drive whole bands of sheep into a trap or walk up to within 30 feet and uh, drive an arrow into a single animal. You're kidding. So they could get within 30 feet of these huh. uh, bighorn. Now, from this, it's uh, to be assumed that the sheep eaters knew long ago a fact that a lot of outdoorsmen are just beginning to find out. The Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep is the easiest animal in the hills to approach. Didn't know that. Now, I, I don't have any friends that are bighorn sheep hunters, so I can't uh, say that I know that firsthand. Yeah. So I, I know I've been around bighorn sheep, like up in uh, Road to the Sun up there in Montana, Uh People are around them all the time, and so you could get close to them. I can't imagine them just standing there. Yeah. But, you know, 
just like deer, though, Zeb, if a deer has never been hunted, they're not going to run no. when they see a man, okay. you know. But no doubt the Tukadika's technique was the same as used today. They remain below and in plain sight of the sheep. They make their approach. They walk slowly in a zigzag direction. and See, that's easy for me to do. <laughs> me too. I'm not going straight up. <laughs> but a lot of hunters try to stalk the bighorn, uh, and they try to climb above them, and evidently that doesn't work. That just spooks them. Oh. So modern-day hunters, if they try to get above them, it doesn't work. Okay. Now, for quantity food production, the Tukadikas used their sheep traps with ingenuity, uh, very successful. Well, what do you mean sheep traps? Well, kind of like you, a I'll, corral or something? Yeah, I'll tell you. The sheep eaters' traps were widely distributed over this whole area that I'm talking about, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho. Uh, the guy that wrote this said that he found remnants of them above the North Fork of the Salmon River in Idaho within two miles of U.S. Highway 93. Really? And others deep in the primitive area of the Middle Fork of the of the Salmon River. And some are in really good uh, preservation, uh, in good shape in the Wind River Mountains. Oh, so, my. Because they're so remote, they're just not really stumbled upon by the ordinary. Now, this is back like the, the article talks about these Indians like in the 1800s. Right. Yeah. But they existed way before that, according to, to this article. So now you asked about how they trap these uh, the sheep. So they use rocks and odds and ends of timber. A wall was constructed about 200 feet long uh, for a wing. Okay, the trap was about an 8-foot by 16-foot structure, maybe a pit. Uh, And so they'd use the side of a draw or even the face of a cliff. The sheep were driven between the rock wings, so almost like the buffalo hunt. You know, the buffalo jumps, they had a wing on each side, and they would drive the sheep into that uh, narrow spot there. Uh, And... When they got them, then they had meat and hides were harvested for food, clothing, shelter. And judging from the size and heavy construction of some of these traps, the number of sheep butchered in a single drive was considerable. A lot of sheep. And, uh, you know, when deep snows uh, at these higher elevations uh, is where a lot of these traps are found. Uh, so obviously they couldn't use them in the wintertime. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, but during the summer months, uh, there was... Uh, the, the sheep eaters were kind of mountain nomads. They would kind of travel from place to place, but they carried their belongings in dog drawn travoy. They wandered in and out of these uh, highlands up in the mountains. In the fall, and you asked this, they did descend to more temperate elevations for a 
winter camp. And these campgrounds were used yearly by the same groups. Uh, every year they'd come back to the same spot. They had to have something more to eat than just sheep. Oh, we'll get to that, too. Well, you're always saying <laughs> I always that. say that. But, uh, you know... Some of these camps were not very big, sometimes maybe only three families up to maybe 20 families. Oh, really? And a tribal society didn't really exist. They just kind of stayed together as groups, not really as so much as chiefs and sub-chiefs, things like so that. So like, uh, like living on a, um, uh, what do I want to say, a t- in town, one of those... Like uh, a suburb. A uh, suburb, uh, you know, they got their own little friends uh, yeah. and everything? Yeah. Okay. Now, the cold weather uh, compounds were located in mountain-sheltered valleys or on the bank of a stream. Uh, so these places where they stayed in the winter, yeah. these streams all had a lot of fish. And another desire, desired thing was uh, convenient to these natural salt licks. Now, uh, the teepee, um, they, they liked to, to camp close to these. And the reason they did was because mule deer still use the, these salt licks even, even today. There's natural salt licks out there all across the country. Uh-huh. Even back east, I know there are. Yeah. But a still larger group, of, there, there's these rings um, in the ground where they would have like a, almost like a um, teepee above the ring in the ground. Okay. Okay. So uh, they had these circular mounds of earth heaped around the bottom of a lodge to keep out the, the cold. Um, like in the middle fork of the Salmon River, there's about two miles upstream from what they call the Bernard Ranger Station. There's uh, some of those there. In the Gardner Canyon of Yellowstone, there are several lodges that stand there without the coverings. So they're still there. Did you ever think, though, really, the Indian tribes? And I really became aware of this and thought about this after you saw the movie Dances with Wolves. In the latter sequences of that movie, when they were all living in the snow in the right. wintertime, how did those people keep warm? And we're going to get to that. Zip. I figured you would. <laughs> so while other tribes of the plateau were waging a running and continuing skirmish with hunger, the sheep eaters were well and variously fed, in addition to the mountain mutton, venison, elk, fish, and anything else they had that had, as they say, had hair or fur. The Tukadika enjoyed a wide selection of edible vegetation. Really like what? Marshy draws provided something called yampa. And I was going to look that up, but I, so I'm not sure what that is. But the lowlands supplied bitterroot, seagull lily, and a number of edible forms. Kind of a forms. salad. Yeah. Marginal swamps yielded an abundance of the roots and blossoms of cattails. They milled the flour and cereal from the seeds of the limber pine. And I'm not sure what that is. I was going to ask you. And sweetened their uh, all this with berries, choke cherries, huckleberries, thimbleberries, native currants, and gooseberries. They had a pretty good restaurant. They had, they did. Not only were the Tukadika probably the best fed Indians on the plateau, they were also the best dressed. Really? And they were recognized as the furriers of the Western Plains. Oh, my. These small, agile people were wearing tailored clothing long before fashion uh, became apparent in the Western tribes. Do you have any pictures of that? I do not. Oh. I don't. Um, Many winter... I wonder if I could buy a vest from them. Yeah, it would be warm. Uh, They tanned mountain sheep skins, and those were preferred for the women's dresses. Two skins being used in making a full dress. Men's winter caps fitted with lining and cut so they covered the ears were made from coyote fur. 
Coyote skin was also the choice material for making leggings. A wolf hide was a hunter's prize. A robe made from two of these skins served for both robe and a blanket. The wolf hide robes represented the peak of perfection in Tukadika handicraft. What about their feet, though? Um, uh, it doesn't talk about gold feet in those moccasins. Well, and I'm sure they had like uh, mucklucks or whatever. You know, they had something. But antelope skins were carefully tanned. And when faced with rabbit fur inside uh, for sleeping, you know, blankets, I mean, that would be very warm. Uh, The tribe also was very good at making camouflage clothing for hunting. And winter didn't deter the Tukadika from the chase, wearing a disguise and equipped with light snowshoes. Have you ever heard of Indians having snowshoes? I did. Have you? Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. I did so, hear that, yeah. And they did that when the sheep traps weren't able to be used. Well, so uh, their skill at tanning and f- uh, finishing hides and furs did not go unnoticed by Indians of other tribes. Oh, they tried to take it. Well, not really. Sort of. (laughs) Commerce flowed between the mountain dwellers and those camped lower down on the plateau. Even the Nez Perce, who had great admiration for the Tukadika skin crafts, would respect a truce long enough to engage in trade. Really? So they would trade with these other tribes. Yeah. And they look look for the label of the Tukadika. <laughs> On the inside lab, yeah. label. So the sheep eaters made the long trip from their mountain strongholds to the clear water camps to swap robes, leggings, and other garments with the Nez Perce in return for goods gotten from the white traders and unavailable to the Tukadika because they were way up in the mountains. So blankets, beads, and cooking utensils found their way from the trading posts into the mountains of the Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. Now, once this is like this, once the transactions were completed, the truce ended, the Nez Perce were not above chasing the departing sheep eaters about the only thing they had in their favor was a running head start and the know-how up in the mountains. You would think, though, the way you're talking about the Tukadikas is that they would flourish as a tribe even till today. You would th- well, I'll tell you what happened, Uh-oh. the sad ending. The Tukadika were never a large band, uh, like, say, maybe 500 at the most, maybe up to 1,200. So not a lot compared to a lot of the other tribes. But there's also a dispute about their origin. Some historians claim they came from what is now Yellowstone Park originally. Others trace their beginnings as far east as North Dakota. Most agree that the Tukadika were the root stock of the Shoshone tribe. So, like, they were the origins of what became the Shoshones. And that's, that's a theory, anyway. So, the Tukadikas are often confused with a small group of Indians, numbering about 200, who once ranged in the Salmon River area, uh, that many today believe the Sheepherders to be a tribe of degenerates. So, there's another kind of an offshoot of the Tukadikas that they consider kind of a degenerate group of the sheep eaters. That were up in that same area. But what uh, what caused their demise? We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know I was going to say that. <laughs> so here we go. The late 1860s, when the Salmon River country was first beginning to be settled, 
to those early day prospectors and settlers an Indian was an Indian and they dubbed the band made up of excommunicated Bannock, Shoshone and Nespers as renegade sheep eaters. These frontiersmen apparently used the word renegade to distinguish them from the Tukadika, recognizing a difference between the two bands but they really didn't know what it was. So the renegade sheep eaters were uh, by uh, described by Lewis and Clark as broken moccasin Indians uh, when they came through the Limhi area. area. But the renegades uh, appropriated uh, Tukadika camps, used them for mountain hideouts between horse-stealing raids and attacks on settlers. Uh, this came to a head when a mining camp was attacked on the south fork of the Salmon River, and the occupants were killed. And some say they were Chinese, but that raises the question because the Indians never attacked Chinese yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, because of this, the United States declared hostilities and history recorded it as the Sheep Eater War of 1878. No kidding. So about 60 renegades were forced to surrender. Uh, General Howard noted the captivities represented several different tribes, but not the Tukadikas. So one Tukadika custom distinguishes them from the other Indians. They did not follow the practice of interring their dead on these stilted racks right. or sealed in caves. Right. Uh, you know, with all the mountains up there, you had landslides. So you had a lot of rock. And so what they would do is the, uh, they would uh, bury these in under rock. And a lot of times they would keep the corpses until spring when they could bury them under rock. So here's your answer to your question, Zeb. Um, the uh, civilization eliminated the Tukadika in the same way it eliminated the Mandans and often decimated other tribes with smallpox. Oh, oh no. The infection was rapid and complete. It took only one exposed sheep eater to carry the disease back to the mountains from uh, from a visit to another tribe. The plague was thorough. The only memorials remaining are the empty campsites, the abandoned lodges, the empty and silent sheep traps. We don't know the names of their great chiefs. They are an extinct tribe oh my god that's sad it really is i mean a lot quickly i've only got 30 seconds but did they uh we as historians and people that uh, follow these uh, type of things has anything ever been found of their clothing Uh, in museums or anything you know i would bet there has to be don't you think i mean because they traded with the nez Perce, yeah and we have uh clothing from a lot of other tribes yeah so i'm sure some of it has survived but we may not know that it came from them wow that was an interesting story uh, you called, did a really good job on ghost that. tribe of the west ghost tribe of the two let me show you what a, a house or a oh my. place looked like it was a hole in the ground kind of with dirt around it and then yeah. kind of kind of like a teepee in yeah. a way yeah wow dr history With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. 